All right. Well, that's our word of prayer, and we'll get into our study in Galatians. We are not going to finish Galatians tonight. We're going to do that in two weeks. Next week, remember, we'll have Pastor Podesta from Haiti here um, speaking via Skype from Ohio. Is this not on? It is on, honey. I'm on A. I'm on A. All right, and so uh, we're going to do, uh, we are going to get to the last verse, interestingly enough, but we're going to skip a little portion in the middle that I want to develop a little bit more in two weeks. Uh, and that, uh, so it's going to seem like I'm skipping around a little bit, but I really see a great uh, comparison and contrast in these closing remarks of Paul. And uh, he picks up his pen by his, his, and writes it himself, um, which he notifies the Galatians of, as we're going to see. But before we get into this too much, let's go, Lord, in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you again for your word and for the opportunity to study it this evening. And we pray that you might guide our thoughts into your truth and that they might uh, not only... Uh, be informative, but they might be transformative in our lives. And we do pray that you might uh, have liberty to work in this hour, to guard it from error, from opinion, and uh, that it might be your truth, that we might recognize its authority in our life and conform ourselves to it as you require us, that we might truly um, put credence to our words that we are followers of yours. And we praise his in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Well, verse 11 of Galatians 6 uh, starts off with, See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. And we're going to get to that a little bit, why that's necessary. Um, he is not a professional writer. He often is using an amanuensis, which is uh, just an old world term for secretary. Uh, they would very often use a scribe that would write down what he said, and so most of this is verbal, um, verbally given and then written, and then um, he would have read it over and sealed it, if you would, and this is kind of his seal on the letter, that this is truly his, and so he takes the pen in hand himself to pen this last section. He would not have done this on many of his books in terms of writing, in fact, probably none of them, possibly Timothy, 1st saying Timothy and Titus, but in Philemon, but the likelihood is he seldom used his own hand. Um, the instruments and the materials for writing were expensive, um, and someone who can't see sufficiently to write small enough would have used a lot of all those expensive resources. So they had... Uh, he had amanuensis by and large, but here we believe he has taken up pen to write. Um, some would contend that this means he wrote the whole thing with his own hand, but it is more evident that he just did this last um, portion. And so he's going to revisit his main argument with his own hand. And he's going to touch on that, um, and it seems a little out of place, um, because he's really finished his whole presentation, uh, and he really completed that in verse 10. He now is going to add some, some pressure to our understanding of the, of the personal nature of what he's writing, that this is something that um, is not 
just the little theological treatise he's putting out there, but he has a real genuine personal concern and he wants to put it in his own hand. And so he's going to really revisit the primary purpose of the book. And that is to counter the Judaizers who are saying you need to get circumcised and keep the law in addition to trusting in Christ. That trusting in Christ alone is insufficient and therefore you must become a good Jewish person in order to really please God. And so Paul's writing strongly against this. And so let's go ahead and read the portion that he has written out here for us. And you'll see it picked up very quickly. And we're going to really look at the beginning and ending of this. And then some of the middle I want to pull out for next week or for two weeks. It says in verse 12, As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So we have um, Paul again visiting this whole idea of circumcision. And he wants immediately, just like he did early in the letter, to set an understanding of the motives behind these Judaizers, these ones who want you to be circumcised so badly, But he also wants you to recognize the theological failure of their position, that it just breaks down. And he's going to do this in in really a very few sentences. He's going to present this all, and then he's going to set up the the contrasting position in Christ um, that he is going to symbolize by his own life. And again, one of the themes we have been looking at towards the end of the book is the contrast between life in the flesh and life in the spirit. And so we're going to handle the flesh side today, tonight, and in a couple weeks we're going to handle more of the new creation, the spirit side of what it means to be crucified to the flesh and what it is then to walk in the spirit and really summarize that facet of the book. So really, tonight and two weeks from tonight is going to be our final summarizing of Galatians from these two main themes that we have seen presented here, one in the first half of the book and one emphasized more in the second half of the book. And so Paul's going to address this. And, and we start off with him in, in very much a similar frame of mind, a similar kind of accusatory speech. He is going to go after the Judaizers. He said, every single one of them and anyone who is following after them Uh, are focusing on the flesh, and they have this desire. This is what they want to make happen. And he's going to drive right to their motives and say, okay, here's what they want. They want you to have a good showing in the flesh. And, of course, the flesh he's talking about is the foreskin. And so he's like, they want you to be circumcised, so you have all the fleshliness of the law um, evident on your body. And that is really their victory dance, if you will. Because once you conform yourself to one part of the law, what does the law require now? That you keep all of it. 
And so he doesn't have to address every facet of the law, though he did hit on several of them in Galatians, and more expansively hit on many of them in Romans and other passages um, that develop this skeletal outline of Galatians. And so he goes right to their Moses. They're trying to bring you under the entirety of the law by pressing this first flesh requirement um, and glorying in it. They want to have that glory that you are now subject to the law that they are experts in and that you're ignorant of because you're Gentiles by and large. And so they want to enforce this on you and uh, to compel you to be circumcised to convince you that without that, you can't possibly please God. And of course, um, this has laid hold on much of our Western society uh, here, particularly in America, but uh, where we have this uh, circumcision that is being widely practiced um, and the Jews can glory in that. The Judaizers can glory in that. Um, And granted, for most that participate and uh, have their children circumcised, for most couples in the United States, um, they seldom associate it with this uh, spiritual act. And yet Paul says, you know, the motives of those that are compelling you to do that are suspect. And so the circumcision isn't meaningful in the working of God today through because of the completed work of Jesus Christ. But one of the things it was doing for these Judaizers and for some within the church, he gives the second half of their motivation, is that that way they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. And I say, well, how does that keep you from being persecuted? Well, the problem is we usually think that persecution is generated or coming from the direction of the heathen, of the pagans, of the Roman world. We think of persecution as those who hate God and, um, and are going to oppose the gospel. But in fact, that is not the experience of the church to this point. Uh, point of fact is, is that at this point, Paul would much prefer dealing with Romans, um, who seem to have some sensibility about them. And, and granted, there was the mob scene in Ephesus that's going to be still probably future to the writing of Galatians, um, or possibly just recently occurred. Um, but even then you find Paul, what, what does he do? Is he trying to run away from the Ephesus? Well, he's just chomping at the bit to get into that arena and talk to those thousands of people chanting, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Because he wants to reason with them. And, he, and he's always had this, even in Athens when he was by himself, he's had this um, desire and some pretty good success dealing with them. And, a, a, and honestly, a pretty open audience, people willing to listen. If you remember our study in Acts and you think back to some of your church history, where was the persecution coming from? It wasn't coming primarily from the Romans at this point in history. It was coming from the Jews. Do you remember what, was, what did Paul do every time he arrived into town? What was the first stop? Synagogue. We're going to go into the synagogue. 
We're going to proclaim the law through the law and the prophets, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. We're going to then present that Jesus is the Messiah, that he has, has accomplished what Isaiah said. He suffered for our sins, for our iniquities, and that now he's risen and there is deliverance. And so that message then um, went out beyond the synagogue into those that were listening at the door and the windows um, to the Gentiles, the neighbors who were God-fearing but, only, but weren't circumcised. And the popularity incited the leaders of the Jews to persecute Paul. Remember, they had opposition and fights and, and uh, they profaned God's name in the midst of that. And so we find that the persecution he's talking about was coming from the Jews. And remember, that's what was going on in Jerusalem as well. What happens when Paul gets there? Does he have problems with the Romans? No. He has no problem with the Romans, especially once he says, oh, you're allowed to do this to a citizen? Whoa, whoa. We don't care what you're teaching. If you're a Roman citizen, you have these rights. You have these privileges that are afforded you by the government. Um, and so we're going to have a whole different perspective. And you find him more than happy to address himself to Felix, to Festus, to whoever. And, and in fact, if it, again, um, the reason he appealed to Caesar wasn't because he was afraid of the court, was it? The reason he appealed to Caesar was because they were talking about taking him back to Jerusalem and having this trial in front of the Jews who were committed to killing him. The persecution primarily of the church in the, in the first century was from the Jews. And so, well, how do you stop that? How do you slow that down? Well, like we saw in the book of Acts, what happens? The church became zealous for the law. The way to get the Jews off your back is to get circumcised and keep the food laws and the ceremonial laws, and then they won't have anything to gripe about. And so, here come the Judaizers in the church and say, listen, um, you know, we're at odds with the synagogue rulers, so let's appease them by being equally zealous to keep the law as they want us to be. And this, Paul sees, is a great detriment to the gospel, and in fact, he is right. And so he says, listen, that's not a decent motivation. To say, well, this just makes our life easier as a Christian is not reason to engage in or not to engage in an activity that God calls us to or to avoid. It's just not a motive. But that's what was driving these people is here we can have it, we can have the best of both worlds. We can take our greatest enemies of the gospel, the Jews, who were zealous for the law, and we can accommodate them, and we can still give claim Jesus Christ, and we can kind of walk this fence, one foot in both camps. Well, what did God think of that in Israel back in the day, of one foot in two camps? He hated it. He said, oh, I wish you would either be hot or cold. But being lukewarm, I want to spit you out. 
And so Paul recognizes the danger here, and he recognizes this is a wrong motivation. And so here they are, and I want you to see the, the contrast here. I want you to see what's, what he's setting up. And so here, come on in, guys. Come on and sit down. You're being real distracting. Um, we have this contrast between a mark in the body called circumcision and uh, that they say shows that you're trying to please God. Okay? Paul says it doesn't mean anything to God. And now, based upon verse 11 and verse 17, we have another mark on the body. That Paul says is one that we should prefer before circumcision. And this is the mark of persecution. He calls it the cross of Christ. And so we find there in verse 17, from now on let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And what is he referring to? So here these people want you to do this fleshly act of circumcision, which then ties you to keep the whole law, and they know it, um, that then appeases you so you don't have to have any physical persecution from the Jews in every community. And so now you can have this comfortable position, which is what James was trying to maintain in Jerusalem by telling Paul, listen, keep your ideas to yourself. There are lots of Jewish believers here, and we're all zealous for the law. So why don't you get your act together, go into the temple and purify yourself, and let's get that right. And Paul begins to accommodate that. But listen, it didn't accomplish its purposes because the cross of Christ calls us to a different stand. And so here, in our body, we have an opportunity to carry the marks of Jesus Christ. What's he referring to? He's referring to all of the persecution he had received. He's referring to being stoned, beaten with rods, lashed. That's what he's referring to. And and he hasn't finished experiencing all that. We haven't gotten to the shipwrecks yet. This is an early letter. We haven't gotten to all the fullness of what we know that is coming his way. He, but he already has experienced, remember, the stoning. That happened in the first missionary journey. Where? In the area just south of Galatia, where this book was written to. That group. And so he reminds them that the real marks that you belong to Christ aren't those that are done to appease people, but are done by people persecuting you. So when he talks about glorying in the cross of Christ, he is not just saying that we're going to take a, a symbol of a cross and, you know, carry it around and make it gold and all that. That's not what he's talking about, glorying the cross of Christ. It is comparable to what Peter said, that if you are Christ, you will pick up his cross, you'll pick up your cross and follow him. That's what he's talking about here when he talks about glorying in the cross of Christ. It is not that he had a big gold chain with a big bling thing here and a cross. No, 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 that's not what he, that's not how you glory in the cross. You glory in the cross by picking one up and carrying it and following Jesus. 
And this is what he did. And he bore the effects on his body of being willing to suffer with Jesus. That is, they hated the Lord, they should hate you. Why are you trying to avoid persecution? It is something you ought to be willing to embrace. It is the offense of the cross, and you ought to be willing to pick that up yourself and follow Jesus all the way down that same road. You should be willing to go down the Via Dolorosa, the the way of suffering. You should be willing to do that, and those marks on your body, those are the ones that are the evidence of your faithfulness to God. Circumcision isn't the mark of faithfulness to God. It is those scars put on there by the enemies of God as you serve God faithfully no matter what. So why was Paul writing in such large letters? Um, Well, if you have ever witnessed the stoning, and unfortunately today you can do that on YouTube because they are still practicing this in some Arab countries where they are stoning people, Um, but they don't do it very well. Uh, But the primary purpose of the stoning isn't just to uh, uh, kill them, but it is, is to do particularly damage to their head. Um, in fact, that's considered supposed to be the first blow is, a, is the accuser will take a large rock and drop it on the head first. Um, and so you can imagine the blows that Paul received having been stoned and everyone thinking that they had stoned him sufficiently that he was dead. And they drag his corpse out to the dung pile, to the garbage heap and toss it on the garbage pile outside the city. And he gets up and brushes himself off and walks back in. Um, these people knew what they were doing. And so that what kind of damage does that do to you, to your body? We think, well, he just jumped up and he had no ill effects. But the fact is, is that he did have some ill effects. Um, and he even talks about that several times, that he had thorns in the flesh, at least one thorn, that he asked God to take away. Some think it was his eyesight. Um, but the damage that that would have done to him and the disfigurement that that would have had, he carries. So he talks about the marks of the Lord Jesus on his body. He's not talking about circumcision. He's not talking about this carefully crafted way of trying to avoid trouble. He is embracing the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ and saying, I am going to be a minister of the gospel no matter the cost to me personally even bodily injury. And so, if you want to glory in something, don't be glorying in circumcision and in trying to appease the Jews and trying to keep the law, which, by the way, he interjects, uh, no Jew keeps the law. (laughs) Right? If the Jews kept the law, there would be no need for sacrifices, would there? Why do you have to give a sacrifice? Because, oh, I broke the law, now I have to go uh, take a lamb and even the priest has to do this. And we have this very well developed in Hebrews, right? And so we find that the Jews couldn't keep the law. And so that's not, that, that circumcision isn't a fleshly thing to glory in. If there's anything in the flesh that we can point to with joy in terms of it representing 
a true commitment to Christ, it is the marks of persecution. Why does, should that be troublesome to us? Um, is because in our country we have the opposite as the normal experience. We have circumcision commonly practiced, and we have almost no marks of, circ- of persecution carrying on in any of our fleshes. My exposure to a few brethren who have made it here to speak to pastors' conferences a couple of times and also times I've been able to get into some environments um, put us to shame. Uh, I was at a pastors' conference in, in Arizona and the speaker there was a pastor from Russia who survived. What did he survive? Beatings, imprisonment, almost destroyed his voice. He carried on his body the marks of his commitment to Christ. They were there. He had been beaten. The scars and wounds were there. Not just under his clothing, but even on his face. They're there. And these are the ones, Paul says, now if you want to point to something on your body that's going to say, you know, there's no question this person is fully committed to Christ. And that's why he's saying, don't let anyone trouble me. You know, don't come and, and don't, don't trouble me about whether I'm committed or not. I have these marks, not circumcision, but the marks of beatings, stonings. They are the evidence of my commitment to Christ. And those are the kind of marks that, frankly, we don't experience. And because of that, we think that uh, we're suffering persecution if, you know, somebody laughs at us because we say we're a Christian. Um, We need to buck it up a little bit because it's going to be a lot worse than that, the Bible says at the end, um, when uh, the world is given into the hands of the evil one, of the man of sin, And so when we find this condition, um, it is something we should anticipate. And we see this in Acts. We see the apostles rejoicing. They were counted worthy of suffering for the name of Christ when they were beaten by the Jews, by the rulers of Israel. And so we find this should be our interest. Uh, Not that I'm going to go out there and try to get myself beat up, Um, but rather I'm going to go out there and live for God fully, and that will naturally make some enemies. Now, I do have a couple of classmates and and peers who uh, have encountered this. They went in and ministered in some very tough spots in in inner city work and things like that, and and some of them have been cut, and some of them have been uh, beaten, and uh, they bear those marks. But by and large... Um, we don't experience this. And so what Paul is calling to us is that, listen, 
there are going to be all these opportunities to avoid persecution, to make your Christian life comfortable. And that's really what this is all about. And he says that. They just want to avoid the persecution, satisfy the Jews, and then we can be more comfortable if you're zealous for the law and for Christ. Even though they are opposite things. One's completed by the other, and so why would you be zealous to do what Christ has already done for you? Can't. But we're going to have those same invitations Compromise here a little bit. And then we won't have to have such opposition in the world. If we just compromise here a little bit, compromise here a little bit. Can you compromise in this area, in that area? And pretty soon we have compromised away the cross. Our cross that we're supposed to carry. That we're supposed to follow Jesus and and finish his suffering. That's an interesting concept that's in Scripture, that we are supposed to complete it, perfect it, by our suffering. And we've lost track of the value of true persecution. Not just to purify the church. I heard a lot of people, oh, is persecution is necessary to purify the church. Yes, but it's also necessary to establish the testimony of the church that we are righteous, and right now, they, we have brethren uh, around the world that are suffering severely for the name of Jesus Christ. And they are carrying the marks on their bodies. And some of those they carry into the grave. And we fiddle around over here with compromising and thinking we're doing a great job if we just uh, wear a cross around our neck. Uh, and God calls us to so much more than that. The fact is, is that our world around us is vile, as we talked about this morning. It is evil. And if it is so evil, and if we were to really take the true, righteous, high ground God calls us to, it, there would be nothing but opposition. Even violent opposition. And yes, we are seeing it happening against other authorities, but my question is, why isn't that opposition happening against the church? Against us? Because we have compromised away our testimony and don't really vocalize that, no, we will submit to our authorities? No, I don't find that. I get on social media, I find Christians jumping in there and ragging on authority just with equal amount of poison as unbelievers. I won't do it. There's a difference between calling your leadership to repentance and sitting there griping about them because you don't like their politics. And so we sound like, we vote like, we we follow the world. And that level of compromise uh, makes it easier for us to be Christians. 
Because we look like, sound like, dress like, talk like everyone else. We don't stick out. And that's what this circumcision issue came down to, is why make these people your enemies? Well, I'm not making them my enemy. They have made themselves the enemy of Christ. They crucified my Lord. I should be willing to take a stand there. They are an offense to God. They should be, I should be an offense to them. They should be offended by me, by my commitment to righteousness and justice, commitment to submitting to authorities, my uh, a commitment to um, the truth and to speaking it, and to, as we saw this morning, not to sit with them while they're scoffing, taking that stand. And then be ready, and don't be, don't be complaining, be ready to take it on the chin. Not go around and say, oh, I'm, uh, I'm being persecuted. No. We take it and we say, ha ha, I'm finally getting it right. Someone got so mad at me, they smacked me today. Because I stood for Christ and said the right thing. This is the boldness that God calls us to that is demonstrated in Paul's life. And he says, you can't really bring to question my faith and my relationship with God because I have the marks of persecution. And when I encounter men who have been imprisoned and beaten, whose families have been killed, tortured, um, I am not going to go into theological dotting I's and crossing T's with them. I don't have the right to. I don't have the marks on my body that they have. I haven't faced a time when someone said, if you believe this for real, we are going to beat it out of you. And stood. I haven't ever been tested that way. Oh, there's other insidious ways that it has happened, but not to this level. And so we're called here by Paul that if you want to really see the mark of Christianity on your body, well, it isn't the circumcision, it isn't keeping the food laws, it isn't keeping all of that. It is the bruises, broken bones, the damaged organs, because you stood alone and took the beating with joy in your heart and you sat in the prison cell and sang till the jailer came to Christ. That's the mark of discipleship. That's the evidence that you're Christ in the flesh. Where's the fleshly evidence? Not keeping the law. Not what you're eating. Not how many times you wash a day. Where are the scars of you taking a stand for Christ? That's the mark 
that we need to be looking for. When we see that, we need to back up a little bit with a lot of respect and say, I'm not going to trouble you for one minute. Because you've taken a stand I have only dreamed of. And hope I would endure and not deny my Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for your word. We do pray that we might be careful to recognize the fleshly evidence of faith, of true following after you. It is not in how comfortable we are in our Christianity, but how the world hates us because it hates you and because we are so much like you that they do not want to tolerate us, even at the point of violence. Lord, we certainly aren't praying tonight that we get beat up this week, that we have that violence inflicted against us, rather that we would take a stand, that we would have a heart and spirit that would be prepared to do so, that we would make such a difference in the environments that you put us that your enemies will just naturally be our enemies. They will make it so. Even while we love them with your love, seeking to reach them, that they would despise and reject us because they've despised and rejected you. So Lord, we pray that we might walk more in the light, more in your spirit this week. The world cannot help but deal with us one way or another. All to your honor, glory, and praise. Lord, help us to have the courage to take up your cross and to follow you. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.